chapter 4. I'm reading it, the last verse, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we know that some of the greatest New Testament writings uh, came from defending the faith uh, against those who were wanting to attack uh, the Christian faith. And uh, while that was true, certainly of, in the New Testament, it's also true throughout the history of the church that some of the best writings that we will find have come about from those who are trying to defend or who are defending the faith uh, against attack from without and within. You think of people like Augustine and Luther and Calvin and uh, right down to the likes of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and to Tim Keller. And the, the, there's a huge list of people who have written great things, but some of the best writings have come about uh, as they are seeking to defend the faith from attack. And uh, that's what we have very much in this uh, chapter here. Because the writer here is writing to Christian Jews, uh, and they are under attack from non-Christian Jews uh, who are telling them that they're lacking, that the faith they have, the beliefs they have, that they're not the real thing, because they're missing out on so much. These uh, non-believing Jews or Jews who hadn't, haven't embraced the Christian faith, they're saying, listen, you don't have sacrifices. You don't have altars. You don't have a priesthood. And above all, you don't have a high priest. So they're saying you're, you're, you're really missing out. So the, the apostle here is writing in a way in which he's saying that isn't true. That, uh, that we have, that's what it says in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And when he writes that, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, you can almost picture, as you remember back in the, in the, in the Old Testament times, there was only one day in the year when the high priest was allowed into the most holy place or the holy of holies. That was on the great day of atonement. And just this one time in the year, he passed through the curtain in there. Uh, now, Jesus, of course, is the great high priest. And he has passed through. And he has passed through everything. And he has risen from death. And he has passed into the heavens. And you remember when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. And when he gave up his spirit, that... There were various phenomena that occurred. And one of the things that happened was that the veil in the temple, that veil which separated to the most holy place where the presence of God was most, uh, most found, that that veil was torn from top to bottom. And God was showing at that moment that the old was gone and that there was an immediate access through Christ into his presence. And that there was now no need for the altars and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the high priest 
that these were types, these were ceremonies, these were rituals that were all pointing to Jesus Christ and had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And just as the high priest passed through the curtain into the most holy place, so Jesus passed through into the presence of the Father. And he had achieved and he had, he had made this, this way possible. So that's what the, the, the writer is he, here saying. Not only do we not have, we have the greatest of all. And then in verse 15, he tells us that our high priest, although he is the God-man, although he is all majestic and powerful and mighty and wonderful, he is also one with us. He knows every single thing about us, not only as God, but he understands us because he has actually gone through everything with us as well. Because our God is not a God who is distant and remote and far removed. He is a God who is with us, a God who is in us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so this is a wonderful thing that we have, that our high priest, our Lord, he knows, he knows everything about us, not just as God, but also by way of experience. Because he understands what this world is like, that it's a cruel, that it's a, a painful place. It's a place of hurt, a place of betrayal, a place of disappointment. Jesus Christ was touched. That's what we're told. In, in, he's with all our, our weaknesses. And he was, he was uh, uh, touched in every area, apart, of course, from, from, uh, from uh, in temptation, apart from sin. And you and I know that one of the, the great things of supposing you go through some very difficult, trying experience, something that's heartbreaking and heartrending. And people will come to see you and people will sympathize with you. And it's one of the things, and any minister will say the same, as you deal with or try to deal with people and their sorrows and you sympathize with them. And while your heart genuinely goes out and you really feel for them, there are often many situations where you are sympathizing with and praying with and listening to. And you have to say, well, my heart goes out, I don't completely understand because I've never been there and sometimes you say thankfully I haven't been there because as some people go through very hard and difficult experiences you're you as we say your heart goes out but you can't properly understand because you haven't you yourself experienced but if somebody who has experienced exactly the same thing as you comes to see you, that makes a difference in the sense that you know that they know exactly what you're feeling. Well, that's a wonderful thing about the high priest that we have, Jesus. He understands exactly. He's been touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. He knows our pains. He knows our sorrows. He knows when we, what it's like to be let down. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what just in all the 
different situations. He knows what it is to be lied about and where false accusations are leveled against. He knows all these things. And he knows the force and the power of temptation, although he didn't have sin within him. Yet he, he was battered by Satan. So this is a high priest that we have, one who sympathizes with us. And his sympathizing wasn't just when he was here in this world. Because we know that when he was here in this world as, uh, for these 33 years, it often says that he was moved with compassion. His sympathy didn't stop when he left this world. He's the unchanging Jesus. And he is as sympathetic tonight as he has ever been at any stage. So that's a wonderful thing that we have, is that we have this wonderful, sympathetic high priest. And that's why we're then told, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. And how thankful tonight that it is a throne of grace that it's speaking about. Imagine if it was a throne of judgment, because one day it's going to be. One day, Jesus Christ won't be on the throne of grace as we have here. He'll be on the throne of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where everyone will have to appear. And I know that on that day, there'll be many people and they'll wish that they had gone to the throne of grace. Many people who didn't believe, many people who didn't want to go, many people who couldn't be bothered going. But on that day, that, th that throne, this throne, the throne of grace, won't be available in the way that it is now. Although grace doesn't end, there will always be grace. And grace will be complete in glory. But the thing is that tonight, it's a throne of grace that, we're, that we have here before us. And there was grace, of course, in the establishing of it. This grace was, this throne was established by God's grace. As we know, grace is, a, is an undeserved favor. And so God established this throne and it was purely of grace that he did so because we didn't deserve it. God would have been completely right to have said I will do no such thing as establish a throne of grace. This people deserves nothing because of what they have done. But he has made, he has set out this throne of grace for us. And it's something we should always remember, that it is, it was established by grace. And this grace that is given, this throne of grace, we must always remember, has come at a great cost. You know, sometimes we just take it for granted and we think, oh, well, we have this throne of grace and we can go anytime. Let's always remember what it cost. It cost the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the death of Jesus Christ, there would be no throne of grace. We wouldn't be meeting in this kind of way. We wouldn't be enjoying the benefits that we do were it not for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must always remember that. That tonight this privilege that we have cost heaven's greatest treasure, where God gave his son, where Jesus Christ gave himself. So we must always remember that. 
So we have this great invitation to come. And this invitation, let's say, is to everyone. Some people think that this invitation is purely for the Christian. It's not. It's for everyone. How did we come to faith? Was it not by coming as sinners to the throne of grace? This is where it began. And the invitation we've always got to remember, although it's the Christian that uses the throne of grace most of the time, that throne of grace is available to everyone. And that's where we begin. That's where our journey began, by calling out to the Lord, calling out to him to, to hear us, to pardon us, to forgive us our sin. That's where a sinner first finds pardon from all their sins, is at the throne of grace. So it is, as you say, it's a throne that is there for everyone. So how do we come? We're told we come with confidence or boldness. It's the idea of somebody coming to a higher rank. And that doesn't mean that we come brazen, brazenly or come with a, a super confidence. But it means that we come with an assurance that God is not going to deal with us according to our deserving. Because we could easily be inhibited and think, you know, oh, I, I can't come. But the Lord is saying, no, you can come. You have a sympathetic high priest who wants you to come, who's available all the time. And I often think that we should, in fact, it was just mentioned in the prayer, and it's very, very difficult to prepare properly midweek when people have a busy, a busy schedule and to come. And it was just highlighted there of how, and quite often when we come to a prayer meeting, we become very conscious of maybe how we didn't prepare before we came. Now, I know that it is often in the hurried, rushed, pressurized life that we live today, very difficult or impossible to prepare as we would want to. But I believe that when we have our set times of private prayer, we should seek to prepare for it. Because if you and I were going to meet King Charles or going to meet some dignitary, we would prepare. And so we should prepare as we come to meet with the Lord at his throne. And always, as we said, remember the privilege. What a, what a wonderful thing it is that the creator of heaven and earth, the God who holds this world in the hollow of his hand, the God who counts the number of the stars and he names them one by one, has said, you come tonight, you come today, you come anytime to me. Tell me what you need. Tell me what you want. I'm listening. I'm sympathetic. It's a most amazing privilege that we have, which far too often we take for granted. Now, as I said, often we don't have the time to prepare because often when we come to the throne of grace, it's spontaneous. We all of a sudden, we cry to the Lord, we're in a time of need. And we cry for help. We ask, Lord, Lord, help me here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Lord, put a guard over my mouth in case I say the wrong thing. We're so often asking the Lord like that. Or it's a, a sigh of confession. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me my sin. So that a lot of our coming to the throne of grace is like that. It's, it's spontaneous. But also there are times that we should come and we should uh, be more 
prepared in our coming. And so we, we, need to, we need to come and be persuaded that the Lord will hear us. Satan will whisper into your ear and say, Lord's not going to listen to you. You look at your life. You look at, you look at the many ways you've let the Lord down. You look at all the things you've done and all the things you've said. Lord's not going to listen to you. We're told here that we are to come with this confidence, with this assurance. And what are we to seek for very briefly? That we may receive mercy. And you know, that's where it, where it all began. So we sang, this poor man cried. God heard and saved him from all his distresses. And all your days, you will be crying the first cry that you ever had. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how it began. And you will never, the Christian will never ever stop asking the Lord, Lord, be merciful to me. And you know that the, that mercy that we have, it, we've said it before that mercy is often, we, is that where, where there is a need on the part of the one requiring mercy. And there are resources sufficient on the part of the one bestowing mercy. You've heard the story of, uh, you, know, you know it well, of the, the man who was uh, to be shot uh, in the time of Napoleon. And the man's uh, mother came to Napoleon and he said, she pleaded for her son to be spared. And Napoleon said, justice demands he dies. And the mother said, it's not justice that I'm looking for. It's mercy. Please be merciful to him. Napoleon said, woman, he doesn't deserve mercy. He deserves to die. The mother said, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And that's the wonder of it. That's what mercy, and she said, just be merciful. And Napoleon was struck by that. And he said, I will grant mercy. You see, it, it wouldn't be mercy if we deserved it. But it's this undeserving. And as God is merciful to us, and he is, let us pray constantly that we in turn will be merciful to others. As we are, receive mercy. And you know, we can be harsh with other people when God is so gracious and so merciful to us. So we must seek always to be merciful as we have received mercy. And then again, we see we ask for grace. That's what it says. Let us, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When through mercy we've come to know God's peace, and we're through this journey, through this wilderness, through this world, every day we're looking for that grace. And we're told in the Bible that that grace is sufficient for us. Now, you and I know that there are times that we will very readily make our way to the Lord and will say to the Lord, oh Lord, help me. I need your grace. I'm struggling. Sometimes it might be physical. Sometimes it might be mental. It might be emotional. It might be spiritual. It might be a combination of all these things. Because sometimes we can't separate. All these things are so often intertwined. And we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your grace. But, you know, there are, there are times that we're rebellious. And there are times we're in the huff 
dare I say it, in a huff with God. And we won't go to him for grace. And we'll say, I'll see this myself. I'll see, I'll sort this myself. I'll put on, as it were, like the stiff upper lip. I'll deal with this. I'm not going to take the Christian attitude here. You know, that's so wrong. And God will sometimes allow us to, just like little toddlers or little children, to have their wee sort of moments of being sort of like this, a wee strop. Sadly, we have our strops before God. But you know, the Lord is gracious. And he teaches us that it is by grace that we have to go through this world, leaning on him and relying on him irrespective of what the situation may be, whether it is, whether there are family difficulties, whether there are physical difficulties, whether there are financial difficulties, whether there are relationship difficulties, whether there are sorrows, bereavements, losses, crosses, it doesn't matter what, the grace is sufficient. And it's through God's grace, through these trials that come into our lives, that we learn so many things. And I'm sure every one of you tonight can echo in a different way to the way that Paul did. But remember how Paul prayed to the Lord that he would remove this thorn in the flesh. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed about it. And God said, no, I'm not going to remove it. But I'm instead, I'm going to give you my grace. And you know, I'm sure the Lord is doing that for every single one of us here in a different way. There's always going to be something you don't want in your life. And you wish that you were saying, if only this could be removed, I would be a better person. I would be a better Christian. My life would be so much better. Why is this here? And the Lord is saying, in order that you will discover my grace. Because it is by grace that we walk every step of the way. And the Lord is saying there is a sufficiency at this throne. Please make it the habit of your life to come to that throne so that we might all, indeed, every single one of us may receive this mercy and this grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Lord our God, we give thanks for our time together. We give thanks for this word. So often we're, we're so familiar with this verse and indeed we so often quote it. But help us to remember more and more the, the depth of truth that's in it, of the amazing mercy and grace that is to be found at your throne. And we pray that you'll equip us as we go through life at every turn and at every corner. We pray that you'll help us and we pray that you'll be with everybody here tonight according to their needs, that they will discover your help, your strength, your grace. We pray, Lord, that you'll do for us far and beyond what we may ask or think. We pray that you'll bless us in our homes and our families. Be with all whom we love, with all who can't be here tonight, who would want to be. Be with those online. Lord, we pray your blessing upon us. Do us good. Cleanse us, we pray, and take us to our homes safely, forgiving us all our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to